This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Good evening, dummies. Episode 158, May 25th. 8.23 p.m. on Tuesday. Yes, dummies. I said dummies. But don't unfriend me. See, D-U-M is acronym for don't unfriend me. Your listeners. You're not dumb. You're dummies. Kind of like buddies or stoolies or drag queenies. That was a drag queenie. We'll talk about that. Hockey's been great. Holy moly. Connor McDavid out in the first round. Who called that? Who said Edmonton was going to get swept? That would be I. I didn't say sweep. I just said they were going to out the first round. Why? Well, they're a Canadian team. And McDavid's good, there's no doubt, but he might as well be called McRegular Season. McKinnon is the best player in hockey. Certainly the best clutch player. Two-way defender. Has unbelievable speed. He's got great hands. And he can snipe. And he can put it top shelf pretty much at will. If you remember his first two years, which you probably don't, but I'm going to talk about it anyway, he would just over the net all the time. But now he's dialed in, and his shot is killer. Edmonton's out. Minnesota Wild took over a game, took a game from the Golden Knights, which is great. Let that series go on. Let them beat the hell out of each other. I don't care who we play. Let's just face somebody. Gives us a chance to heal up, and hockey is definitely in full swing. What are we going to talk about tonight? We have a long show. Sorry to go into hockey, but it's just going to happen. It's the playoffs. What do you want? What are we talking about tonight? Well, good stuff. I promise you that. It's going to be a good show. It's going to be a long show. I guarantee it's going to be a long show. She's your queen to be. She's your queen to be. Coming to America? No? Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano. Every time you say Rocky Marciano, something Joe Lewis's. He beat Joe Lewis's ass. Well, he did beat Joe Lewis's ass. All right, coming to America. What are we talking about? She's your queen to be. Well, there is an interesting video that's been taken down from the internet and almost like New York is ashamed. Go figure. No, it's not Cuomo's sex tapes. It's a drag queen singing a lullaby to your children. And it's disappeared. We'll go over that tonight. I've got the video, which I'm sure you're all so excited. This drag queen, he, him, it, her, whatever, looks like Tammy Faye Baker. Do you guys remember Tammy Faye Baker? In Jesus' name, donate money to me, please. The mascara. That's Tammy Faye. Looks just like Tammy Faye. Honestly, hotter than Tammy Faye. And that doesn't say a lot about the drag queen. It says more about Tammy Faye. We're going to talk about the $100,000 Social Pyramid Game Show. You guys remember that show with Dick Clark? Well, now it's about social media. Ron DeSantis from Florida, who's probably going to be the vice president of the United States, and him and Trump are going to run together. It just makes sense. They're setting this up. It would be an amazing ticket. DeSantis brings an element that would bring all Republicans from the woodwork because they all admire Florida. Who figured Florida would be the freedom state? Not I. We'll talk about that tonight. And lastly, the freedom to censor speech. Is it okay? Can social media sites do this? I've already referenced this on another show, but we're going to go in deeper. We're going to talk about the law. We're going to talk about history. And this one's going to be long, but I think you will like it. 
But with no further ado, let's get the joke. Why do you call a grandma drag queen? Or excuse me, what do you call a grandma drag queen from Massachusetts? Easy, a Nantucket. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest, always direct. So sit back, relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. I'm going early. I can't wait. I'm too excited. Let's get it started. My name is Matthew with Don't Unfriend Me. Welcome. What is Don't Unfriend Me? Don't Unfriend Me is a little bit of a show, I guess. It's a podcast, video cast, blog, whatever, where I go ahead and tell you my opinion. Why should you listen to me? Well, I don't know. Why do you listen to anybody? I mean, really, is it about credibility? Is it because I make you laugh? Is it make you cry? I piss you off. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We can agree. We can disagree. You can love me. You can hate me. Just don't unfriend me is the whole premise of the show. We talk about current events. We talk about politics, sports sometimes, hockey, baseball. We don't talk about basketball because that's really not a sport. It sucks. Anyway, sorry if you like basketball. Social media sites all right here. Don't unfriend me host at don't unfriend me host over on the Facebook. On YouTube, it's at Don't Unfriend Me. You can visit me on Instagram, and also all my podcasts are, are everywhere. There's like 12 different podcast stations. I'm on all of them. Come and see me say hello and spend the day with me on your drive to work. I would love to do that. I would love to be with you all week. I'm on five days a week, 9.30 Eastern, which basically means anytime I want, somewhere between 5 o'clock and midnight, I will post a video five days a week. Weekends, I usually take it off. If all of that doesn't work... Go to don'tunfriendme.com where you can visit my catalog. You can see everything there. If you don't like visiting social media, it's all right there for your purview. Let's go. She's your queen to be. Okay, I can't do that voice. She's your queen to be. Drag queens in training. New York City Department of Education children's show features 12 minutes of Little Miss Hot Mess. Say it again. Little Miss Hot Mess reading and dancing give you some overview. It's a children's PBS show featuring a drag queen and author, Little Miss Hot Mess, singing, dancing, and reading a book about drag queens to an intended audience of three to eight-year-olds. Let me go ahead and repeat that. Three to eight-year-olds. Quote, I think we might have some drag queens in our training, training on our hands, Little Miss Hot Mess said after dancing and singing for the virtual audience. The episode is part of the show Let's Learn, produced in partnership by the public media company, the WNET Group, and the New York City Department of Education. Would we expect anything less? I'm surprised Chicago is not involved. Let's watch it. Cringeworthy, folks. Tammy Faye has come back to life. Is she dead? I don't know. Should be. She's a horrible person. Here we go. We are going to sing and dance it out. So get your singing voices ready. Hmm. And we're going to start with our hips. The hips on the drag queen go swish, 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 swish. The hips on the drag queen go swish, 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 all through the town. The hair on the drag queen goes up, 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 up. The hair on the drag queen goes up, up, up. All through the town, the shoes on the drag queen go stomp, 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 stomp. Let me hear it. Stomp, stomp, stomp. The shoes on the drag queen go stomp, 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 
all through the town. The Um, this goes on for another three and a half, four minutes. And honestly, I can't do it to you when I can't watch it again. I am conflicted before I go on. I, I usually interject my thoughts throughout the articles or throughout what I write, or I wait till the end. I'm going to do it now. Free speech is for everyone. If you're over 18. I truly believe that. I don't believe as a child of 16, you should vote. And free speech does not necessarily come without parents' permission. And if you want to teach our children about drag queens, that's fine. But it should be based upon parents' permission. Not because there's anything wrong with being a drag queen. Great, be a drag queen. I've worn women's underwear. I'm wearing it now. It's quite comfortable. I don't care. I don't. I've said it before. I'm more libertarian when it comes to this. Good for it. I don't know her pronoun or his pronoun. So I I just, they or whatever. Tammy Faye, if she's happy, he's happy. That's all that matters. But there are certain things you don't portray as normal. And that isn't normal. And it's not because it's wrong. It's just not a part of society. At a level that is acceptable. There is a lot of prejudices about this, and it's not a decision, I've said this before, that a child can make right now and shouldn't have to. I would say it would just be, it would be just as bad to project the nuclear family option that women have to cook and clean and men have to go to work. I think that's just as bad. I don't think any of that needs to be done right now. Even home ec. There's something to say maybe when 16, 17, 18 and preparing people for the future, how to balance a checkbook, those type of things, yes. But showing someone a drag queen video, this is going to be confusing to kids. First of all, it scares the living shit out of them. That is t- more terrifying than it, the clown. Uh, just put like Tammy Faye in a sewer. <laughs> no way, dude. That's terrifying. No, it doesn't belong in schools. Maybe not right now. And certainly just desanctifying the song, the wheels on the bus. Holy crap. But my opinion comes down to this, is that Tammy Faye has every right to be Tammy Faye. Tammy Faye does not have a right to be videoed by the Board of Education and and that to be seen by my children. Just like I don't want people seeing people who cut themselves or goth or who get tattoos at young ages or who believe in Satanism. I, I just, I want the normal. Just let my kid be normal until they can't anymore because we're all going to face that it's called teenage years it's called college let's avoid this as long as we can but most assuredly i'm not bashing drag queens i don't care in fact i don't know any drag queens i've never met a drag queen in my life and maybe i have maybe i'm a maybe i'm a closet drag queen and that's why i'm so fired up about this but what really it comes down to is i think we expose children to way too much too early too often this show was on PBS and it featured Little Miss Hot Mess. Little Miss Hot Mess is quoted as saying, Today I'm going to read from my own book, which is the hips on the drag queen go swish, swish, swish. Explained Little Miss Hot Mess, who is reportedly one of the founding members of the Drag Queen Story Hour. 
Quote, I wrote this book because I wanted everyone to get ex- to experience the magic of drag and to get a little practice shaking their hips or shimmying their shoulders to know how we can feel fabulous inside of our bodies. Little Miss Hot Mess said this book is intended to be sung along to the tune of the song, The Wheels on the Bus. Little Miss Hot Mess said it features the drag characters Frida Be Me, Jacqueline Jill, Stinker Bell, Rita Brooke, and Mother Lucy Goosey, Cinderfella. I'm not making this shit up. Stop laughing. Pina, Pina Butter Jelly, <laughs> Rosie Ringaronda, and Ella Menopippi. And follows a drag queen who performs her routine in front of an awestruck audience. I think we're all awestruck as of now. Little Miss Hot Mess read the book to the virtual audience, encouraging viewers to snap their hands, shimmy, twirl, dance, shake their hips, and put on makeup, the video showed. And listen, this is harmless. The only people who aren't going to make this harmless are the parents, right? They're all going to flip out. Mommy, Daddy, we saw a drag queen at school. Holy shit, can you imagine the principal backlash? And that's why they took it down. I wouldn't be one of those parents. I would just be like, okay, why? And what are you teaching our kids? And, And what's the purpose? What's the point of this? Quote, I think we might have some drab queens in our training on our hands. And that is where I take issue. You are projecting your own personal bullshit onto children who are extremely influential. And that one child who does not feel absolutely mortified, terrified, and stupefied by little miss hot mess might say, that's what's wrong. I'm a drag queen when you're not. That is where the line was crossed. Quote, being a drag queen is about being bold, shining bright, and showing a little bit of bravery by wearing that much makeup. Being willing to step outside the box and to dance to our own beat sometimes, the drag queen explained. The episode is part of the series Let's Learn, a public television series produced in partnership by PBS and the member station WNET and the New York City Department of Education. WNET spokeswoman Linda Horvitz told the Daily Caller News Foundation the following. The spokesman emphasized repeatedly that Let's Learn is not a PBS series but was made available to PBS stations. Little Miss Hot Mess episode first aired March 31st, she said, and WNET has received only a small handful of messages complaining about the show until it went on the internet. Quote, Let's Learn helps ages 3 to 8 with at-home learning, a tag on the PBS website said. One-hour programs feature instruction by educators in virtual field trips. According to the New York Department of Education, Let's Learn episodes offer age-appropriate content intended to serve as a supplemental resource for remote and blended learning. Right. New York City DOE did not immediately respond to a request to comment. Quote, through lessons taped by educators, the program offers age-appropriate content that is aligned to education standards and lessons for early childhood education focus on foundational reading and writing skills, literacy, math, science, social studies, and the arts. There's nothing there about drag queens. The New York City DOE website said this series also supports social emotional learning and brings viewers on the virtual field trips to see dance performances, meet animals, visit botanical gardens, and more. Well, if you get a vaccine, you can go to the botanical gardens for free, according to, well, okay, whatever. Democratic Mayor Bill de Blasio, of course he's got a soundbite, and school's chancellor Richard A. Carranza announced the launch of Let's Learn NYC in May 2020 around the beginning of the pandemic. 
quote, we're doing everything we can to make this unprecedented situation a little brighter for our youngest New Yorkers, de Blasio said at the time, according to a press release. This partnership will bring entertaining educational opportunities directly to homes across New York City. The Drag Queen Story Hours started out as niche events on the West Coast. But if spread to libraries and schools across the U.S., the official Drag Queen Story Hour website boasts over 40 independently operated chapters across the U.S., including New York, D.C., and Chicago, go figure, as well as international chapters in Tokyo, Australia, and Europe, and Mexico. The events are typically designed to be about 45 minutes long for children aged 3 to 8 years old and intend to capture children's imagination and help explore their gender fluidity through glamorous, positive, and unabashedly queer role models, according to the Drag Queen Story, our official website. Here's the thing. If you expose a child to anything longer than a few minutes, you are going to have an impact on their life. I didn't learn about drag queens. I didn't learn about homosexuality. I didn't learn about any of that stuff. I had questions when I got older. I went and explored and learned myself. And there is an age and a time for that. Why do we feel we have to allow young people to grow up so fast? Or is it that? Is it more the fact that we want to get to them early before anyone else gets to them? Before they get to go to Bible school or before they get to go to Sunday Mass and can truly understand the Word of God? Is that a form of indoctrination? Well, some drag queens and LBGD community would probably think it is just as bad as showing drag queen videos. But the problem is this. That's not up to you. It's up to the parents. Educators have a job of teaching the things that they listed off. Social studies, math, science, English, composition, geography, world history, civics, these chemistry. These are the things that they should be learning. The rest of it is not up to them. The rest of it is up to the parents. But indoctrinating kids with this social justice platform, this woke generation of toxic masculinity, and that drag queens are completely normal in society when unfortunately that is not the case. We have went into this on another episode and I've went into it in great deal right here. I'll link it to you on YouTube. Is that there is a lot of issues when it comes to transvestites, she-males, transvestites, drag queens, gender mutilation. All of these things have consequences, and there is a subjection that these people have to go through in society. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's okay that the suicide rate is so high, that it's difficult to find a job, that there's a huge level of depression and alcoholism and drugs inside this community, none of that is okay. But to assume that a child at that age is ready to rear that responsibility without fully understanding it is asinine. I'm okay with the song. I'm okay with people dancing. We saw this on Sesame Street. Weird Phyllis Diller, for God's sakes, came up. Little Richard sang on Sesame Street, and that guy's queerer than a $3 bill. I'm okay with that. But he wasn't talking about Oscar the Grouch coming out of the trash can. And maybe we should just leave it there for now. $100,000 social pyramid game show. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, as we know, on Monday signed a bill that allows any person to sue big tech companies for up to $100,000 in damages for deplatforming. And this is genius. We can't get them for censorship. I've went over this as well. 
These are private companies. It's kind of like you're renting the space. They can evict you at any time. They don't have to abide by the First Amendment. They can ban you for anything. We learned that with Donald Trump. But deplatforming is different. There's fair use and fair rights and fair treatment that's done by all people. And the deplatforming of conservative voices or a podcast or a show or throttling the amount of likes that I can get, which happens. There was a time that I had 3 million people interact with my page. And during that time, people would send me messages. I can't like your page. What's just going on? What's going on? Hundreds of messages. They throttled my site, my ability to get likes. Why? Because they want me to advertise. This is the way it works. They decide who gets a voice and who doesn't. But deplatforming is different. They are subjecting not you as a person, but the entity or the idea and not having fair treatment of other people who are in similar situations, but might be think something different. For example, just in this, it could be sports fans. I don't like Raiders fans, so therefore, I'm not going to allow them to have a platform. Well, you can't do that. You have to be fair. And that is why deplatforming is the argument that needs to be made. And DeSantis is actually either listening to geniuses or one himself. This session, quote, we took action to ensure that we, the people, real Floridians across the Sunshine State, are guaranteed protection against the Silicon Valley elites. DeSantis said in a statement, Quote, many in our state have experienced censorship and other tyrannical behavior firsthand in Cuba and Venezuela. If big tech censors enforce rules inconsistently to discriminate in favor of the dominant Silicon Valley ideology, they will now be held accountable. He tweeted on Monday, Florida's big tech bill gives every Floridian, 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 Florida's going to be in the water, Floridian, the power to fight back against deplatforming and allows any person to sue big tech companies for up to $100,000 in damages. Today, we level the playing field between celebrity and citizen on social media. The governor's office said that under the law, all Floridians treated unfairly by big tech platforms will have the right to sue companies that violate this law and win monetary damages. This reform safeguards the rights of every Floridian by requiring social media companies to be transparent about their content moderation practices and give users proper notice of changes to those policies, which prevents big tech bureaucrats from moving the goalposts to silence viewpoints they don't like. It will also allow the state's attorney general to bring action against technology companies that violate this law under Florida's Unfair and Deceptive Trade Practices Act. And if social media platforms are found to have violated these antitrust laws, they will be restricted from contracting with any public entity. That antitrust violator blacklist imposes real consequences for big tech oligopolies. Well, I know oligarch and I know monopolies. So, oligopolies. Oligopolies. Oligopolies? Holy crap, I don't know that word. This stuff just happens once in a while. You guys have watched my show. I'll come across a word and I'll be like, wow, I don't know what that is. Hmm. We'll have to look it up. Bottom line, the government governor's office also noted that big tech is prohibited from deplatforming Floridian political candidates and that the Florida Election Commission will impose fines of $250,000 per day on any social media company that deplatforms any candidate for statewide office and $25,000 per day for deplatforming candidates for non-statewide offices. Any Floridian can block any candidate they don't want to hear from, and that is a right that belongs to each U.S. citizen. It's not for the big big tech companies to decide. 
Lieutenant Governor uh, Jeanette Nunez said in a statement that we've been seeing across the U.S. an effort to silence, intimidate, and wipe out dissenting voices by the leftist media and big corporations. Today, by signing SB 7072 into law, Florida is taking back the virtual public square as a place where information and ideas can flow freely. Many of our constituents know the dangers of being silenced or have been silenced themselves under communist rule. Thankfully, in Florida, we have a governor that fights against big tech oligarchs that contrive, manipulate, and censor if you voice views that run contrary to the radical leftist narrative. And the great thing is, is the 10th Amendment, folks. We've talked about it on the show a hundred times. The little three books that I tell you always to get. You can get them on Amazon, or you can get the real ones anytime you want. Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the Constitution of the United States. Amazing. These are the lifeblood of America. And the 10th Amendment reserves the power to the states that say that the federal government can't impose its laws universally without due process, without an amendment. There are some things the federal government have control over, but states' rights are extremely broad-sweeping. This is why that national election that happened where everyone was so shocked that mail-in ballots were absolutely granted by states, and it was up to them, and the states decided without votes. Why? because they can. The 10th Amendment allows them to do amazing, broad-sweeping things. Good for Florida. Let's hope all the red states do it. I wish Virginia grew a sack because I would love to go after Facebook. I remember a time for $2.50 that I would get 150 likes a day. I'm lucky to get three or four now. Why? Because they throttle what I can and can't do. In the first three and a half months, my site grew to 10,000 people. In the last three and a half months, it's barely trickling in at another 10,000, that exponential growth should be higher. Is it my fault? Is it my show quality? It's possible. But when I look at the exposure, when I look at the impressions, and I look at how many people say to me, I can't like your page, or I've tried to follow you and I'm unable to, I have to wonder why. Is it a glitch or is it on purpose? But either way, I promise you this. There are many things that are happening to conservative voices, and I've experienced it with some of my videos getting blacklisted for copyright when they're not copyrighted. When it's a fair use, fair use is a broad sweeping thing. My show is political commentary, but it's also humor. I can pretty much use anything I want minus music. I can use movies if I want to in certain clips at a certain length and make comments on them and claim fair use. As long as I'm not making money off of them, as long as I'm not altering or changing them in a way that the people who produce that content do not want, they have to let me use it. But this goes into the next topic more than anything, is the freedom to censor speech. And this will be the long one. At the dawn of the social media revolution, our first instincts were on the money. Instantaneous communication, blogging, and social networks were the ultimate innovations for free speech. Millions of people were given a voice beyond the reach of traditional gatekeepers. It was glorious in a word. Now that we've lived through two decades of this revolution, however, the gatekeepers have returned. Facebook has banned several controversial account holders from its site and related properties such as Instagram, including conspiracy theorist Alec Jones, radical black nationalist minister Louis Farrakhan, and a whole host of alt-right commentators. Now, do I listen to any of those people? No. Do I want to have the option to listen to those people? No. Do I have the right to listen to those people? Yes. The company says they've been removed as they've classified as dangerous individuals and organizations who promote or engage in violence and hate regardless of ideology. 
YouTube underwent a similar process in March, shutting down the accounts of hundreds of conservative voices in response to pressure from activists who seek to de-platform those with whom they disagree. In a way, it's difficult to place blame directly at the feet of platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. They're only reacting to the feverish outcry of politicians in Washington and the new mantra of social justice that pervades major cities across the nation. Remember, they sat in front of the Senate oversight, and they had to explain their way why they allowed Russia to steal an election without changing one frickin' vote. Mark Wahlberg was, was embarrassed. And he went back and did exactly what the government wanted, which is to begin to censor. And then, obviously, the other side went after him. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. I have no love lost for Marky Herr Zuckerberg, but I will tell you it's a difficult position when you literally control billions of voices on the planet. You're going to piss off and break a few eggs. But banning fringe voices from social media network may be popular among these tech and political elites, but it will only further embolden these assholes with truly dangerous ideas. The fresh wave of censorship is being led by the reaction to the actions of the extremists, motivated by very bad ideas, but more than it allows fringe elements to devoid and stop the conversation altogether. It's just because they simply disagree. Political leaders in Western nations want global regulations on the social media platforms used by Shooters, used by activists, used by racists, used by xenophobes, which you or I use every day to communicate with our friends and family, and unfortunately, we are victims of other people's crimes, and we are being impacted. In the rush to prevent another attack or another hate-filled speech or a riot, we should be warned against any crackdown on social media and internet freedom. These are the tools of dictators and autocracies, not freedom-loving democracies. But penalizing social media companies and its users for a tragic shooting or racist comments or a horrible police beating that took place in these real-life responsible situations that wound up being very irresponsible. And for the individuals alleged of this attack and seeks to curb our entire internet freedom because of one or two or ten bad actors. What's more, trying to play whack-a-mole with bad ideas on the internet in the form of bans or criminal liability will only embolden the seediest of platforms while putting unreasonable expectations on the major platforms. And that leads us to miss the point about this whole thing. Social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter already employ tens of thousands of moderators around the world to flag and remove content like this, and users share that in the responsibility. It's up to us. We are the moderators of what content we see. We have full control. We can ban, we can blacklist, we can go ahead and choose not to see an ad, and we can do what most people used to do, which is simply ignore it. It will be up to these platforms to address concerns of the global community, sure, and I really have no doubt their response will be reasonable up to a point. But on the other hand, this, these tragedies and these things that happen that we see that are instantaneously thrown onto the internet in a nanosecond and consumed by millions of people occur in the context in which big tech is already being vilified for swinging elections, censoring speech of conservatives, and not reacting quickly enough to political demands on which content should be permissible or not. It's a no-win situation. It's an endless flow of shit. A river flowing into a sea of shit, if you will. As such, we are set to hear anti-social media proposals that have very little to do with what happened on a tragic day in New Zealand 
or in the Capitol, or in a city in Philadelphia, or a shooting in Atlanta. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison wants the G20 to discuss global penalties for social media firms that allow questionable content. Democrats like Senator Elizabeth Warren, among many congressional Republicans, want to use antitrust regulations to break up Facebook. A recent national poll found that 71% of Democratic voters want more regulation of big tech companies. 71%. In the wake of a tragedy, we should not succumb to the wishes of the terrorists who perpetuated attacks or the police officer who made a horrible, horrible call for nine minutes. Overreacting and overextending the power of our institutions to further censor and limit online speech would be met with glee by the killer and by these other people who do not represent the collective or other people who share these worldviews that are in the minority. Reactionary policies to shut these voices out so they cannot read or listen to alternative views will only embolden them and make the internet a seedier place. It's not like they can't go to the dark web. It's not like they can't use subreddits. It's not like they can't use other forms to communicate. Because there's one thing about the human being. It finds a way. Just like nature. Many individuals and companies are now fully reliant on social media platforms for connecting with friends, attracting customers, or expressing their free speech. They are overwhelmingly a force for good. Yes, internet subcultures exist. Most of them, by definition, are frequented by very small numbers of people who are marginalized. But clamping down on social media will only radicalize this minority in greater numbers, and many lead and will lead to more blowback. Cooler heads must prevail. Social media does more good than harm, and we cannot use the actions of a fraction of a minority to upend the experience for billions of users. We can use these tools to condemn and to prevent extremist ideas and behaviors rather than force of law or outright bans of controversial figures who make convenient targets. At a time when the support for free speech is sliding and people on the left and the right are more than willing to shut down their opponents, it's worth revisiting Professor Walker's story of why hate speech is protected in the U.S. and why the current First Amendment doctrine has played a crucial and positive role in creating the necessary environment for tolerance and inclusion of groups that for decades, if not centuries, were not seen as belonging to American society. There was nothing inevitable about this development. American law and policy could have gone in a very, very different direction, and I'm going to bring that to you tonight so we're aware. A banal, though, fundamental point is that good ideas do not defeat bad ideas in and by themselves. They only prevail if there are groups and individuals willing to explain and defend them. It doesn't matter whether you're on the left and the right. That's basically the reason why the U.S. free speech tradition is different from the European one, in spite of the commitment to democracy on both sides of the Atlantic. Ideas have no force in the world without advocates. In the 20th century Europe, there were no civil rights organizations with a position similar to the ACLU's on free speech. It's a common fallacy to think that the U.S. from the very beginning was exceptional when it came to the protection of free speech, that the First Amendment from the foundation of the Republic meant that Americans enjoyed more or less the same legal right to freedom of expression as they do today. Nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, for the first 150 years, the U.S. wasn't that different from the rest of the world. A few years after the adoption of the Bill of Rights, 1791, Congress passed the Alien and Sedition Acts that, among other things, criminalized making false statements that were critical of the government. 
President Adams used the law to imprison his political adversaries. In general, the U.S. federal and local governments introduced the same arguments and the same kind of legal instruments as other states around the world to silence challenges to the status quo, i.e. national security, blasphemy, obscenity, offensive protection, and of the public order and moral safeguarding the social peace. As late as 1928, a man was convicted of, for blasphemy in Little Rock, Arkansas, but wasn't convicted for sleeping with his sister. Sorry for the five people who listen in Arkansas. He put up a poster in a shop window with the words, Evolution is true. The Bible is a lie. God is a ghost. And during World War I, socialists received long prison terms for protesting the draft. Attacks from the right on the ACLU in the 1920s denounced free speech as un-American because of the organization's defense of unions and left-wing groups. In fact, anything that might have a tendency to cause social harm could be restricted, including criticism of the government during times of war, discussion of birth control, and any literature with a sexual content. Government officials were allowed to ban speakers and groups they did not like. They issued injunctions against picket lines, communists, socialists, union meetings, and shut down debates about strikes and unions. All of these things nobody disagrees with. But in today's society, this would be a cause for war, for rioting, for an uprising from groups like Antifa and BLM who douse themselves in socialist leanings and anarchist behavior. But back then, most people agreed that they shouldn't be around. But it was still censorship. It still stopped the conversation of free speech, just like today the conservative voice are being muffled by the same very group that was muffled back then. Isn't it ironic, don't you think? A little too ironic. Oh yeah, I really do think. The reality of American history is that meaningful protection of free speech and other individual rights has emerged only since the 1940s. The legal climate only began to change in 1931 when the Supreme Court upheld First Amendment rights of a communist and of the publisher of an anti-Semitic newspaper. The first cases when speech deemed dangerous and offensive by the majority received constitutional protection and a vindication of the ACLU's line. Until the 1960s, free speech was considered a radical and dangerous idea. As Walker puts it, what millions of Americans think of as ancient and hollowed rights are actually of very recent origin. The hate speech issue first arose in the 1920s with political and legal debates over whether to restrict offensive racial and religious speech. The same two arguments for restricting speech were repeated over and over again. First, that a particular group like the KKK or the Nazis represent a special case and a limited exception to free speech protection should be made for it. And second, that a free and democratic society has an obligation to restrict the activities of anti-democratic groups. In most European countries, these arguments carried the day. Laws restricting hate speech and anti-democratic groups were adopted. The ACLU refuted both arguments and their lines of defense for hate speech as free speech was adopted by the courts and today serves as the foundation of American public policy. And the First Amendment doctrine. The Supreme Court's decisions were shaped by the advocacy groups that brought cases before it. The ACLU filed briefs in all the major cases through which the Supreme Court created the body of the current First Amendment law. 
The ACLU's argument against hate speech provisions were summed up in the 1934 statement, Shall We Defend the Nazis in America? It began by challenging the argument that the Nazis, with a reference to the suppression of civil liberties in Germany after Hitler's power grab in 1933, represented a special case and should be exempted from the First Amendment protection, as I said earlier. The ACLU insisted that the rights of everybody have to be protected and defended independent of their content or their beliefs. Once you accept exemption, exceptions to, to exemptions to free speech, you cannot be sure when they will be used against yourself. In fact, the Public Order Act that was adopted in the UK in 36 to target fascists was used to imprison more anti-fascists than fascists. Therefore, according to the ACLU, the right of communists and socialists are inexorably bound up with the rights of Nazis. This, in essence, a viewpoint is neutrality, the first principle on which the modern First Amendment doctrine is built. The other, the emergency principle, implies that speech has to entail a clear and present danger if it is to be exempted from the First Amendment protection. The ACLU made the case for the clear and present danger test by making the point that nobody can say for sure what speech will lead to violence. The ACLU and its allies knew from experience that one has to be very careful calling for banning offensive speech. First, if you are in the business of fighting for social change, then most defenders of the status quo will perceive your speech as offensive. Second, terms like offensive speech are very elastic and can easily be used to target yourself the moment your opponents will have the power to move against you. Finally, it's worth pointing out that the libertarian idea of individual rights has been driven by the modern First Amendment doctrine. The ACLU early on came to the conclusion that the advancement of the rights of a minority or any other group were best achieved through the expansion of individual rights. That's the reason why civil rights groups in the U.S. abandoned group libel litigation to defend minorities against racism. They saw it as a threat to their larger goal of achieving equal rights. This libertarian idea lies at the heart of the conceptual difference on free speech between the U.S. and Europe. The same can be said of the concept of tolerance. In America, tolerance is of the individual rather than the group, and it is more radical than what is practiced in the European nation states. In the immigrant American society, as Michael Walzer notes, the state is not committed to one group over another. It's neutral. Government is not an arbiter of taste, and citizens must learn to tolerate one another as individuals, even within the group. This concept of tolerance is the consequence of the First Amendment doctrine's focus on individual rights. Today, this point of view is not shared by those on college campuses who argue that hate speech must be prohibited in order to achieve the inclusion of the historical victims of discrimination. But the history of the hate speech issue supports just the opposite argument. The inclusion of the powerless and the historical victims of discrimination has been aided, not fully achieved, of course, by the broadcast content neutral protection of offensive speech. You can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. There's a wonderful movie, and I think it's called The American President. Michael Douglas is getting just lambasted by uh, a Republican senator who's running for president. And he picks on him for his beliefs that he's a liberal and a bleeding heart and all this other stuff. And he questions that he's a card-carrying member of the ACLU. And at the end, Douglas just gives this amazing speech, and he goes, I am a card-carrying member of the ACLU. The question is, why aren't you, Bob? Now, I don't agree with everything the ACLU 
does. I will say they were around during a tumultuous time that very few people who needed to be represented were. Do I agree that protecting Nazis and communists and socialists is okay with me? No. I don't think that that type of language is anything that I would consume in my diet. But I will tell you that I also don't think they should be censored. America and its responsibility, its fundamental core values is that it tries to make the right decisions. It doesn't always. We can go back to Native Americans, Japanese Americans. We can go with how long we waited for people to die in World War II before it was opportunistic for us to join. There are a lot of things we can hold ourselves accountable for. But the one thing we've always done is we've kept ourselves in check. There's a moral high ground that America has over the rest of the countries in the world, and I've seen most of them. And I will tell you that the one thing that makes us stand apart is there is a moral code that we live by. That we will monitor ourselves. We will hold ourselves accountable that some speech is unacceptable in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our municipalities. And it falls back to the American citizen to enforce these things. We don't have to ban hate speech because it's not going to stop hate. We don't have to impose larger crimes for hate crime because it's not going to stop crime. We don't have to enforce a quicker death sentence because criminals don't care about that. And we don't need to have gun laws that specifically target the actual lawful gun owner because criminals don't follow laws. People who have hate in their heart aren't going to stop hating just because we say it's not okay. We need to identify these people. We need to have a conversation with these people. And ultimately, we need to decide if they can be a part of our group, our society, our family. And we can't do that if we stop them from talking. The one good thing you hear from Democrats is, I know who all the Trump people are, and now I know who not to be friends with. Exactly. Folks, let's have a wonderful night. Thank you for stopping by. I appreciate it. Gosh darn it, I had fun in that show. I sang a little bit and made some funny jokes and learned a new word that I had no idea what it was about. Thanks for joining. Please like, share, follow, and subscribe. It means a great deal if you do. God doesn't kill a puppy. You can go ahead and follow me on YouTube right here in the little red envelope. Click it, hit follow, like, share, subscribe, and all my social media. Stop by, say hello. Leave a comment down below. Let me know what you think. You can love me. You can hate me. You can agree. You can disagree. Just don't unfriend me. Last but not least, the Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. The VCL is there for veterans, traumatic brain injury anxiety, depression, PTS are all very real. Veterans need your help. Please reach out to a vet as soon as humanly possible. They need you more than ever. If you can't have that conversation, you don't speak to speak, reach out to me. I will help you make that call. If I got to fly out, I will. Whatever it takes to help a vet. And if none of that works, you can stop by my website at donutfriendly.com. Click on the VCL link. You'll be connected to a VCL operator. doesn't matter whether you're a civilian or a veteran. They will help anyone in need. Folks, thank you so much for stopping by. I will see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed and liked what you heard, great. Come back tomorrow for 159. If you did it, maybe come back anyway. Give me another try, and I'll see if I can make it better tomorrow. Have a good night. I am out, and have a wonderful night.